Blog Talk Radio. listening to Eastern Airlines Talk Radio. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and we have a great show, a fun show for you tonight. And to all the listeners around the world, we say welcome. Join us as we celebrate the life of Eastern Airlines every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. As our producer said, it's great having you with us. My name is Chuck Albright. I'm coming to you live from the beautiful villages in central Florida, where the current weather is a sweltering 92 degrees, feels like 100. Welcome, and thank you for listening and calling the show. You have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say we've become Eastern Airlines' international radio show with over 50 countries listening in. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with the radio listeners from around the world during our broadcast. If you haven't called the show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611. Just say hello to talk to us on the air. It's going to be live every Monday evening. We can identify many countries around the world and listen in with our Blog Talk Radio application. Isn't it great that we can keep the Eastern legacy going out not only to the Eastern family, but to listeners from many different countries around the world? That's what we try to do every week on the EAL radio show. Won't you join us by adding your voice to these broadcasts? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.ealradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in on the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio, at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. And remember to abbreviate the word Captain to C-A-P-T. If you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let me repeat the number so you can write it down for your Monday night visit. 213-816-1611. By the way, tell your friends about us. 
so they'll be able to join in with us. Don't forget, you can listen to any of our 417 Monday night broadcasts and 75-plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. That's C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E. And scrolling down through the archives of the broadcast. Each episode is briefly described. We're getting a little close to over 500 episodes. Now that's for the Eastern Files, the EAL radio, old-time radio series. Holy Toledo, man, we are really getting up there. Our lines are always open for calls. And if you choose not to participate and talk live with our host, we ask you to please mute your phone as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises. I see we're number one for takeoff. So, Captain, let's get flight 419 in the air. Tower Blur is 650 volt. Sunday in Mexico, the sun floods an arena, the historic duel is on, the sun spotlights a diver at Acapulco, referees a children's game at the pyramids of Teotihuacan, the sun warms a beautiful mermaid in Puerto Rico and covers the vacation paradise of Miami. Every year, more people choose this one for the sun because Eastern service is as warm as the destination. Control pilot to pilot. Control tower to pilot. I think we lost our pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, flight attendant, wake up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to look off till you get them seated. Mike, uh, uh, or Jim, you're the pilot. Okay, go ahead. Okay, okay ladies and gentlemen, you. please be. Oh, God. Pick up where the flight attendant is. I'm here. I'm here. Ladies and gentlemen, please be seated. We're about to take off. Miss, may I have some coffee and cake? <clears throat> Playing airport airplane pilot and flight attendant might have been a game we would have played back if I used. However, flying was not as popular back then as it is today. Can't you see a row of chairs for passengers and pilot and another for the flight attendant? We did have role playing back then with kids wanting to play cowboy and Indians. A stray feather struck. Uh, stuck on our hair for the Red Indian, 
in a stick or finger for the gun and imagination went into overdrive. Was it Saturday morning pictures that fired kids' imagination to play this favorite game? Even better, if someone had received a feather headdress or a sheriff's badge for their birthday, if a toy gun appeared in a Christmas stocking, then that child was king. A packet of caps to supply the all-important noise, and we could play for hours. For Superman or Captain Marvel, it was always the best towel from the house. Tied around our neck for flight. I bet your mom didn't like that one. Today's youth now plays games with their thumbs or a joystick in front of a big screen or their smartphone, usually crashing cars, killing monsters, or even people. All these games were created by software geniuses and called video games. Tonight we plan to revisit our days playing games, ones that we created and played by the entire human body, and not just thumbs. If thumbs were used at all, it was probably in the game of marbles. Close your eyes and imagine a time before computers, cell phones, and flat screen TVs without the technology that applies that occupies so much of our time today. What did our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents do for fun when they were children? What well, about Dorothy, uh, here's a few of the more popular games and activities and toys of the 1930s. It was an era of Great Depression when families didn't have a lot of money and leisure time was spent together or with neighborhood children. We'll talk about some of these tonight. Outdoor games and toys, and even more, when our parents told us that we had better be home before dark. I remember a lot of these games myself. Obviously, baseball and football were right up there at the top. Then we had box ball and marbles was really famous. Hide-and-go-seek was always in there with the young kids hiding behind the bushes. Drop the handkerchief, kick the can was fun. And stink fish, which I haven't figured out what it is, and Mother May I and Simon, Simple Simon and Tag. Those were really popular too. Jump rope was really good for the girls because they were seemed to be a lot better than the boys were. Duck Duck Goose was kind of fun. <clears throat> Capture the flag. Now that really got rough and tumble sometimes. Hopscotch was the favorite when you drew all the lines on your your. Uh, sidewalk outside, and Dad come home from work and said, that's got to go. Red Rover, Red Rover. Yes, we did. We sent people over, and we sent people back. Tops was good. It was a lot of fun to learn to spin the tops with your little string, and everybody had a lot of fun. Fishing, swimming were right up there, top all the time, especially during vacation times. Wooden wagons were fun, too, because they went along with the, with the log cabins. Scooters and ring toss and BB guns, which today would be kind of uh, had to take them out on the range today. Sleds, pedals, cars, and roller ice skates. I had roller skates myself, and I had that old famous roller skate key. Bicycles obviously were fun, and they were a big draw too when you got a little older and learned how to ride a bike. Indoor games and toys and more usually played on the living room floor or the kitchen floor. 
I remember Monopoly. I had a lot of fun at that. Scrabble was good, but you had to really keep the dictionary right next to you. Sorry was okay. Game of Life and Shoots and Ladders was good. I liked Wahoo and, and Finance and Algorithm. Well, those were a little hard for me. Easy Money and Stock Picker and Buccaneer and Cards were fun. And checkers were really good, too, because you could learn those when you were young. Dominoes were fun, too. I had an erector set. I know. I think every young man had one, too. Toy trains sets were just the, coming into their own back in those days. And it was a good Christmas gift. Dolls with Shirley Temple dolls. Those were the big things that the girls liked. And the guys always, either the dads or the big brothers would build you a dollhouse. Balsa wood construction kits, planes. Well, that at 77 years old, I'm still doing that. Lincoln Logs. <laughs> yeah, me too. Lincoln me Logs too. were fun and toys were good. I did, in my younger days when I was in the Boy Scouts, I did build a radio. And I've ended up being my school championship yo-yo. Mike? Oh, that was fun. Yeah. Chuck, most kids' games have no exact traceable origin. The children seem to come up with their own familiar ways to play no matter what time or place they lived in. But even though it's hard to pinpoint precisely where these games originated, here's some incredible history behind there is incredible history behind the childhood favorites. So like Jacks, Jacks are the at least as old as uh, ancient Greece. Except at that time, the jacks and the bull were were tiny sheep, bones, or rocks. It was still the same idea, toss and catch the jacks in a prescribed fashion. Only in the most only in the most correction. Go back. Only the most of the history was it was called knuckle bones back in the old days. Remember this game came around in, in a round package with a rubber ball and little metal X-shaped pieces. And uh, Red Rover, one theory of this game was was its distinctive chant was named after a 1898 steamboat that took passengers back and forth across the Hitachi River. Another suggests that it was a taunt early English children directed at Viking invaders. Two teams line up on each, uh, opposite each other, no more than 30 feet apart. The first team agrees to call one player from the opposite team and chants, Red Rover, Red Rover. Send over whatever the player's name happened to be, and the person called out runs to the other line and attempts to break the chain formed by the link, linking of their hands. Some I have Blind Man's Bluff. Blind Man's Bluff became especially popular in Tudor England, even among adults. The game was even said to have been a favorite in the court of Henry VIII. A close variant of this game is hide and seek. And then there's tetherball, number four. Depending on who you ask, tetherball is either an offshoot of the romantic maypole. I didn't know that was so romantic. Or it evolved from games played by the ninth century Tartars that was a lot like Tifa Bowl, but only used pieces of vanquished enemies as the ball. Now, that's a bit gruesome. Kickball. Kickball was invented in Cincinnati in 1917 
and it was also called kick baseball and soccer base. It accessibility as an organized sport for even small and uncoordinated children was quickly recognized. By the early 1920s, PE teachers all over America had begun using kickball as a standard practice in gym class. And I can tell you, we played kickball all the way through my uh, elementary and junior high school and wanted to play in high school, but they said it was a kiddies game, so we couldn't do it. Colleen, take over. Okay, Jim. Uh, With a piece of chalk or coal or anything that would leave a mark on the sidewalk, we were entertained with this next game. It's hopscotch. Some sources state that hopscotch began in Roman-ruled England. The courses were 100 feet long and were used by Roman soldiers to build agility while wearing full armor. The scotch in hopscotch attached itself later. It's an English variation of scratch in that players were hopping over scratches made on the ground. The size of our game rarely exceeded 10 feet long. And there's marbles. Marbles are ancient and have been found in Pharaoh's tombs and in Aztec ruins. There's no one way to play marbles. Every schoolyard had its own variation. The classic version of marble playing we know today came into existence in the early part of the 20th century when mass production made it possible for children to buy whole bags of beautiful glass marbles for only pennies. This was not exactly a girl's game, as it required being on one's knees for most of the game. Many a knicker was worn out at the knees and had to be sewn together. Nowadays, holes in the pants of the knees are the style. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to let Don describe the next game and its origin. Don? Uh, Thanks, Colleen. The term mumbly pig came from the practice of putting a peg about two or three inches into the ground. The loser of the game had to take it out with his teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Mumbly peg, depending on whom you ask, this game either originated in the 17th century England or 19th century America. Mark Twain mentioned it as one of Tom Sawyer's favorite activities. And in the image of young boys tossing pocket knives at their feet and then removing them from the dirt with their teeth, making them mumbly. <laughs> it, feels, it seems like a little twainish. <laughs> Capture the flag. <clears throat> Capture the flag. Uh, though no one has traced the uh, precise beginning of the Capture the Flag, it is most likely a child's reaction a battlefield. In, in many military cultures, the battle is not won until you are in possession of your opponent's actual flag. Farmer in the Dell. This game where children form a circle and in turn pick farmers' wives, children, dogs, servants, and cheese probably originated in Germany in the 18th It was a courtship game played by adults originally, then became popularized in America by Adele, not the uh, English singer, by the way, is a small wooden valley. Jim? Okay, London Bridge, in which there are several players, usually eight or more, 
two of whom join hands high at the folding arch. That's the bridge. The other players march under the bridge, each holding onto the waist of the player in front. Either the player is forming the bridge or all the players sing. That really sounds exciting. London Bridge is falling down. The London Bridge has existed in one form or another since the Roman occupation and has fallen down many times. The bridge has. Some believe the game that accompanies the rhyme grew from a widespread tradition of bridge dances popular in the Middle Ages. Some historians also believe that the rhyme itself refers to a superstitious practice of killing and burying a child at the bridge site to keep it from collapsing. And that doesn't qualify as a game at all to me. Double Dutch. Double Dutch is where jump ropes whirled opposite each other. It's thought to have evolved from the way ancient rope makers made their products. Workers tied the ropes to their waist and a large wheel, I guess on the other end, wrapping strands as they walked backwards. The fly runners would have to jump these ropes with slack to make that their delivery. That was my favorite, Jim. Wow. My God, I've yeah. never heard of it. Croquette. <laughs> it originated in the 11th century France when it was called Deju de Mail. Uh, excuse me if I don't pronounce these words right. The croque <laughs> is related to the French word croquette, which can mean crook. Okay, I got that one right. Likely the shape of a stick used first for mallets. Shuffleboard. Shuffleboard has been around for at least 500 years. Henry VIII is said to have forbid his archers to play the game because it diverted their attention from their archery practice. It was originally played with shovels and corns were used instead of pucks. That seemed like a mighty slow game of shuffleboard to me. The evolution of how the name shuffleboard came to be known is a neat study of etymology. Shovel groat, shovel board, shovel board again, shuffleboard. <laughs> and now this game, <laughs> I'm messing this one up bad. And now this game has become a most popular game in a book. <laughs> So computers, and I find that hard to believe. There's got to be something better for adults. No, no. Oh, I'm in an adult community, Jim, and we certainly have that as one of our popular games. Really? Well, I ain't got that far yet. We got a lot of them in the in the villages. In the villages, yeah. Yeah, there you go. They dress like Henry VIII too. <laughs> Mike, what you got for us? Yeah, did you ever build a scooter out of pieces of wood? Uh, one to stand on, the other vertical piece to steer. Uh, well, yeah. of course, were sometimes old discarded uh, skates were nailed to the bottom of the board. I think we built one one time with a Briggs and Stratton engine off an old lawnmower and damn near killed somebody <laughs> with the thing. But uh, uh, oh boy. Be, be home before it gets dark was the only rule laid down by the pirates, and we were off for our big adventures. Even when the towns and cities were in adventures, they had playing games in the streets only to be interrupted by a car wanting to get by. Playing resumed when the car passed. And, of course, the street games always had boundary lines, such as curves uh, from one fire hydrant to the next, or even parked cars could define imaginary boundary lines. 
Colleen. And then we became teenagers and left all those childhood games behind us. We got our learner's permit and then our driver's license. Our games became pinball, which was mostly a boy's pastime if he had enough quarters. And the girls took on Barbie, Bobby Sox, Elvis, and other celebrity recording artists. Archie was our favorite comic book reading, and Slumber Party was our social time our social time in our parents' home. Yes, we were growing up. And on a personal note, Barbie dolls came out in 1959. I was into Bobby Sox and Elvis, but in 1959 I was 16, and I was not into Barbie dolls. <laughs> Neither was I. <laughs> this might be Maybe a good time to do our guests. Our guests and listeners' favorite games or some teenage activities. Anybody have some games of their own? Well, first of all, Colleen, I want to a- ask you about those slumber parties that you mentioned. <laughs> Tell us all about those. Okay. Uh, it, in uh, I'd say junior high and high school, that was a big. Uh, it was a big, very big thing with the girls, um, birthday parties or whatever. I had a, I had a group of eight friends that, by the way, still meet for lunch, uh, even now, once a month. But we slept over at each other's homes, and we played games. We had the living room floor, wall-to-wall blankets and pillows, and, you know, we were allowed to stay up a little late, and it was fun, except for one night at a sleepover at my cousin's house. As a teenager, we got the idea. One of our friends was old enough to drive, so we snuck out. My aunt lived on a hill. We pushed the car down the hill, started it up, and went out Went out to meet some friends. We came back several hours later. We turned the car off, pushed it back down the hill, and parked it and went back in. The next morning, my aunt said, if you're going to sneak out, park the car in the same spot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so, but it was a lot. It was a lot of fun, and, and uh, it was very popular when I was a teenager. Now, now, Colleen, those slumber parties have become bridge parties, I guess, bridge games, and that type of thing <laughs> for the older folks. Mm. Uh, oh, the older folks, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Had to give up pajama parties. <laughs> there you go, pajama parties for the guys. All right, who wants to be the first one to tell us about their favorite? childhood game or activity well i'll jump in if it's okay uh for the jump storms in. hit uh i grew up in rural mississippi and we didn't have uh, electricity for a long time i think about 47 48 we got electricity but it didn't matter we couldn't receive tv anyhow because there wasn't a transmitter so it hadn't been invented i guess so we had to entertain ourselves and a couple of things that we did uh a few of the people around there had tractors. Most of the tractors had metal wheels with metal spokes sticking out, but some of them had tires. And it seems like these tires would end up some places they'd cut them to, and that'd be something you could feed, you could water the cattle with, the horses, the cows. But we found one or two that hadn't been cut, and we would actually, and we lived on a hill, and we would talk somebody into getting in that tire, and then we would roll them off down the hill. And that got to be very much fun. And and there wasn't any way to get to the hospital real quick either, so you tried not to break anything. 
But I tell you that oh, we God. go off and we get inside those tractor tires and let somebody roll us down the hill. Looking back on it, I think it's the deepest thing I've ever done, or close to it, anyhow. And another it's thing. It's kind of tough on the knuckles when your arms come out. Oh, it was, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, it rolled off down it. the hill and then it stopped. Uh, it got level and it we would hit the ditch, which was well, gravel road was on the other side of the ditch. You never worried about getting the gravel road because that ditch would stop. But anyhow, uh, sometime very abruptly. But another thing we did was when it got dark, and I think I may have mentioned this on the radio show before, but we'd get dirt clouds right at dusk, and we'd throw those dirt clouds up in the sky, and you'd see bull bats diving down on them, diving down on them. And that got to be a lot of fun to watch those bull bats because they all thought they were the biggest bug they'd ever seen, and they wanted to get it, <laughs> that dirt clouds. Well, I looked forward to my days down at the Eastern Pilot Hunt Club. We would sit down there it's early in the season, and warm and sitting around a fire, which is sort of stupid when it's hot you sit around a fire, but we did that. And we were sitting down there and two or three D sitter slickers were there and we were talking about stuff, you know, I got talking about how we used to throw dirt clots and rocks up in the sky right at dark and the bull bats would come out and they said, Oh no, no, don't give me the cover what's a bull bat anyhow. Well it really wasn't a, we call it a bull bat, but it's got another name, I forgot what it is. But anyhow, so I got a couple of dirt clouds, and they came out in this little clearing over by between a couple of the campsites. And I threw that thing up, and my three bull bats dove down it just like that. And they looked at me like I had just broadened their horizons big time because they thought I was putting on And those bull bats, I couldn't have paid them to do any better than they did. <laughs> they still talking about bull bats down at Deer Camp. I'll give up and let somebody else tell a tall tale. I got one story here from the villages. It's a, it's a little older than than children, but we hit upon it. It's shuffleboard. Shuffleboard is really a a, a big thing here, due to uh, it's not very hard on them on the body or so much, and and they get a lot of fun. And it's an outdoor sport, obviously. And there's another one we play with a, a golf ball that you do the same thing that you would do with those uh, shuffle um, um, uh, round things on, on a shuffleboard inside, in the Pucks. bars, you know. Pucks, yeah. Yeah. that's what I was trying to say. But you use a golf ball, and you try to get as close to the, uh, the, the, the ball that you threw down at the other end. But anyway, I, we were doing that on one, on one side of the uh, – arena so to speak because they had split it up and one side had the guys with the golf ball and the other one had a shuffleboard so i was sitting there waiting to, to tee off one day and these two elderly gentlemen who spoke german because that's what they were arguing about and they soon backed up and pulled up their fist and they were going to go to fighting over the shuffleboard of how close the shuffleboard puck was to to the other one, and it wasn't. If it wasn't for the other two guys there, I guess these guys would have really got into it about shuffleboard. So you see, as you get older, things like shuffleboard become very very, very poignant in your life. <laughs> It'd be a real sight seeing a couple of eighty-year-old guys getting in a piss fight. Yeah. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> Marshmallow punch, punches, and they both lay down on the grass. 
Yeah. <laughs> Who's next? Well, Mike, you mentioned um, Red Rover. Well, I yes. love to play Red Rover because I was very, very fast when it came to running. I used to win uh, first prize all the time up at the 4th of July uh, running races. But they wouldn't pick me, and I often wondered why they picked my sister all the time. Because you so, weighed 40 pounds. <laughs> right. So one time I asked them, why don't you ever pick me? You know I can run fast. And they <laughs> said, well, we love having your sister Margaret because she weighs a lot more than you and she can break <laughs> through the line. You can't. <laughs> so there you go. It doesn't always pay to be that thin, does it? You <laughs> what do you have? John, what do you have? Listen, nobody mentioned... Uh, Anything about having a soapbox? I uh, did. A what? A soapbox. A soapbox derby. Oh, soapbox derby. Yeah. 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 Now, oh, yeah. Of course, I I grew up uh, like Jim Holder. I, I grew up way out in the country, and and um, when I was about eight years old, uh, my uncles and my dad built me a soapbox to enter into this derby, and uh, we went built it and went to this one place where they had the derby and <clears throat> excuse me um, I got up there and they put this board up and they let the board go and me and this other fellow went flying down this hill <laughs> which was by the way was all dirt roads and uh, I don't know what happened if he hit the rut or I did but we both went pardon me ass over tea kettle <laughs> over into this That's it. And down into this bunch of brush and stuff. Then I didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> but another thing. The A Don, do you know they still have soapbox derby races today? Oh yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hey, you can. I was. Uh, I was in in it back in the fifties, and and you could go to a Chevrolet dealer back then, and for I think it was like. $10, they would sell you the wheels and the axles so you could steer it and everything. And you had to build a little brake, uh, this little brake, so you would take a square piece of rubber up off of a, a car tire and uh, you'd nail it on there or screw it on there. And if you pulled it, this, these boards the way with the hinges, it would go down and, and scrape the ground and stop you. In fact, I'm sitting here in my office. And I got a desk, and then above it is I got this big uh, credenza. And on top of the credenza, sitting right in the middle, is my trophy from rope, uh, the Soapbox Derby in Miami. Oh. <laughs> okay. hey, Neil, one, one yeah. more thing. All you, uh, mostly the guys, I guess. When you got your first two-wheel bike, and you, oh, learned, wow. and you learned how to ride it, uh did you ever uh, put a clothespin on the... So with uh, a card, yeah. So, with a so card oh, yeah. on the deck of cards. Oh, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> we used to put green snakes in our spokes. Green snakes down in South Florida. <laughs> you mean a real, real, real snake? A real snake, green snake oh in the spokes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I bet that made him mad. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that. He sound, did he? <laughs> Well, the reason, yeah. I, the reason I 
reason I brought that up was because uh, one of my uncles uh, had bought uh, uh, a little small siren, siren, you know, like an ambulance has. Yeah, yeah. You mount it yeah. in the front, front spoke, the front fork on your bike, and when you pull a chain, it leans over onto the tire and it spools it up and it sounds like a siren. Yeah. Right. I'm coming okay. down this hill where I lived, and I pulled that chain, and I got it going real good, and I pulled it a little harder, and the damn thing went through the fork, into the spokes, and I woke up about an hour later. That do hurt. I was scared. Okay. Oh, oh my. Now, you guys, I'm waiting to hear uh, Mike's story. Mike, your turn. Oh, well, I... You know, when you're talking about these uh, these scooters, we had a friend of mine and I. We decided to get inventive, so we uh, we had this uh, uh, old Briggs and Stratton engine out of a out of a lawnmower that, that our dads had in the garage, and we decided to get inventive with that thing. And we all we wanted to do was go fast with this thing or get it going, and uh, we weren't paying too much attention to the uh, to the stopping factor. Uh, like Don was saying about going ass over tea kettle and the yep. thing, but we we had this thing going and and, and it was no way to shut it down. You had you had a, a t- you know the way only way you could shut the engine off was to to ground the spark plug out. You remember you used to push the tab down yeah. to ground yeah. it out. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had we had a we had a strap back there so you could pu- pull on that thing so that it would it, w- it would pull pull the strap it would pull the uh, little tab down to shut the engine off. But as soon as you get going, you're trying to thing. You're sitting on it with your two feet, and you, ha- you had a brake thing with the uh, with a piece of wood, but no uh, no rubber uh, for the road or anything. The first thing that would happen when you would go to you would go to shut the engine down, uh, you go to pull that strap, and the strap would pull off, and the engine didn't shut down. You kept on going. So now you re- now you're going to reach for the for the stick. And you pull the pull the stick back to, to, to for the brake, and the nail and the nail pulled out. <laughs> so we kept on going. It was one of those things. So we 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 went over, went through a few backyards and a few few front yards and all that. And uh, eventually, the neighbors called the cops on us. And uh, this nice cop, uh, he showed up and he 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 chewed us out for uh, for doing this thing. It's, we were at nighttime doing this, and. Uh, so he he loads this thing in the trunk of the car, and my dad and and my buddy's uh, uh, friend dad was over at my house, and they were having cocktail hour. They were my dad, you know, he's an Eastern captain. The other one was the guy by the Namunji Boyajan, the one we had talked about a while back. And uh, so the, the cop shows up at the house with a uh, with a with this. Uh, <laughs> makeshift uh, scooter with the engine on it sticking out of the back of the patrol car and us two guys not looking too uh, too happy about the whole thing <laughs> but that was quite quite an episode but fortunately we didn't get anything but a bunch of scrapes and bruises before that episode you know that was Mike, just the, the, the scooter episode you know but we used you know, to do Mike, the it, uh, it, it's amazing that uh, we reached our 70s and 80s after listening to that. I'll, I'll say, I mean, you know, 
it's kind of like, you know, we had this thing about the outdoor games. and We had these marbles. Now, I wasn't big on marbles, but everybody played them when I was in grade school and stuff. And I, I was like the uh, the king the king king man because we all had the uh, the the puries and the, the colored ones and all that. But I had steelies. Steelies. steelies you know, you had yeah. the steelies. And my dad, you know, at Eastern Airlines, they used to go down to the uh, to the shop at LaGuardia, and they'd find all these old uh, bearings that were out of service. And yep. he'd have one of the mechanics grind the races off, and I had all these big ball bearings <laughs> that I used to use. And it would crush everybody's marbles if they lined them up and you rolled them towards. <laughs> so well, I had a big, yeah. heavy, a big marble bag with, uh, with steelies in it. <laughs> well, you know, Mike... When you talk about steelies and uh, ball bearings, it uh, reminds me when I was in high school. And in high school, I was in a vocational school. They wouldn't allow me in public uh, regular senior high school. They had to send me off to a technical high school where I got my diploma and my A&P license. But during aircraft shop, we had some guys that were bored to death with certain things that we were doing, like, uh, welding and sheet metal and that type of thing. And, and I had a guy sitting next to me, Jonesy. I'll never forget him. His name was Lynn Jones. He died in the Cessna 172 out over the Atlantic Ocean with a fuel uh, uh, exhaust leak, rather, into the cockpit. And he went to sleep yeah. and died. But Jonesy sitting next to me um, <laughs> did one of the funniest things, I think. He was bored to death. He was really bored. And uh, he was, we had a little rod holder, which was a pipe that uh, had been welded at the end. So it would hold like a bow and arrow, you know, the little quiver kit that you put. We had welding rods in this pipe, and we would use the welding rods as we were welding. And so he got the bright idea that uh, he would fill some acetylene uh, from the tank and, uh, into that welding, into that uh, holder, rod holder, and then he would spark it with the with the spark flasher that we lit our torches with. Well, when he did that with that acetylene in that uh, pipe, it took those welding rods and nailed them to the ceiling of the shop. I mean, <laughs> knocked me off, knocked me off my seat, and of course he was he was off his seat. But that was the funniest thing I think I've ever seen, <laughs> with the exception of another guy in our shop, real quick. He was deciding that he would clean ball bearings by using an air gun. So he held the ball bearings in his hand, and he put the air gun to the closed end of his hand and let the air go. And those bearings went out like a shotgun all over the Oh, ground. yeah. <laughs> but I don't know how we ever managed to get our EMP license out of that shop. I'll never know. Never know. <laughs> well, one of the one of the things we had uh, we didn't have on the list there was the thing that us mostly us guys would get into a lot of trouble with was those chemical kits. Okay. Everybody oh. had a chemical kit, and boy, you had the makings for gunpowder in those things. So we we decided to make a uh, some gunpowder one time, and my, my buddy my buddy's father was a plumber, so we decided he had all his pipe in his in caps and ends and threaded pipes and whatnot like a in his garage. So we decided that we're gonna 
we're gonna we're gonna make this. Uh, we I guess it was uh, powdered char- charcoal and sulfur and saltpeter and a uh, few other things. I forgot what was all in there, but we never thought anything would go up. But we had this piece of pipe with some screw ends on it, and we drilled a hole in the in the piece of pipe, and we we had this. These, they used to have these little solid pellet. Uh, uh, jet engines called Jet X fifties yeah. back in the old days. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. They, so we stuck a piece of that fusing down in that little hole and left <laughs> it out and we and we wrenched the ends on that thing and it was full of gunpowder. We figured it'll never go off because this pipe is too too thick, you know? Yeah. So we took that thing yeah. down to the local park by the uh, by one of the trees and decided to light that thing and, and and the fuse burnt it was a real long piece of fuse, so we all uh, lit that thing and, and stood behind the tree, uh, uh, quite a ways from it, and not, nothing initially happened. So we, we thought it was a dud, and so just about by the time we were giving up, the fact that it was going to go off, we we come around from the tree and that thing went off, and it caused an explosion <laughs> like you couldn't believe, and then everybody come running. And so we we all took off, and and we've all done this thing where, especially the guys, not the women, or the gals, uh, you run so fast that you kick yourself in the butt with your with your own shoes. That's how fast we were running down the street to get a, to not keep from getting caught. <laughs> like you said, it's, it's amazing we survived. Yeah, you know, I got a, I got a quick go ahead, deal. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, go ahead, Jim. Uh, what the uh, uh, Mike reminded me uh, later on. Uh, my mother remarried, and I went to live in Jackson with them. And when I was about eighth grade, uh, got a lawnmower from Sears, and it set up right. It wasn't easy to set over the axle. It had a belt drive to the to the uh, blade, and it had what Mike was talking about. That little thing you mash down on the spark plug to kill the engine. And we had about you're breaking up jim that squall line must be approaching yeah i think i think the squall line has hit you because you're breaking up jim Yeah, you're breaking up. We can't understand it. Sounds like a good story. We'll have to hear it another time. Yeah, we'll have to hear that story. But uh, while we're waiting, maybe you'll call back in and get another better line. Uh, That story, along with my A.M.P. shop, we took sandwiches out of uh, lunchbox from the guys who were in a class, and we slide a little piece of sheet metal in there. With along with the mayonnaise and the uh, salad, uh, the lettuce, and close it back up neatly. And they took a bite out of that that good bread and and hit that sheet sheet metal. <laughs> and we do the same thing with rivets. We had a lot of rivets lying around the shop, so we would do that, sprinkle them, sprinkle them in the sandwich bread. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still here, y'all. Yeah, you're broken. I've got up. a lot of breaking up going on here. You're, I don't know who else is hearing it. There's a lot of static, and it's it's coming. Neil, I think it's your machine. Yeah, I think 
You guys talk. Got it. Everybody yeah, got it when they talk to me. Oh, that's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jim, go ahead with your story. There you go. You are right that time, Neil. Yeah, Jim, go ahead with your story. Okay. Uh, the lawnmower, that little piece of metal that goes down to kill the engine, uh, had broken off, and I couldn't find it. I walked around the front yard, and I couldn't find it. And I said, well, how am I going to turn this engine off, you know? So it's sitting there, the belt spinning, the blade spinning. <laughs> and so I remember that my mother had a metal file, a fingernail file, and I went in there and found it. There was nobody there. It was a Saturday morning. I don't know what was going on. I think it was Saturday. So I went in there and, and found that fingernail file in her dresser, and I went back out there, and I ain't never going to do that again. <laughs> metal file down there to kill a spark plug and it damn near killed me that was a, that was a magneto right yeah, yeah i don't know what it was it was it was i think they used it a parchment to get rid of the bad guys yeah it was yeah. a magneto yeah well yeah, speaking I mean, of magnetos the hell out of me here's yeah, jim really holder hurt. jim uh, we had the shop again in my shop we had wired every engine stand that we took an engine apart. We had wired it all the way down to the last engine stand in the shop. And we told a guy to go down and get a cylinder off the uh, engine stand and bring it up. And when we saw him go ahead and go all the way down and touch that metal, we flipped a magneto and sent a shockwave all the way down. Oh, boy. Shocked oh, the daylights out of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, we used to charge the in auto automotive class. I, we used to charge the the uh, get the condenser. You charge the uh, ignition condenser, and then yeah. you, you didn't touch the lead, but you threw it to somebody and, they, and it's, you, you threw it at them, and they of course they're going to grab it when you and as soon as they they grabbed it, it would discharge. It would discharge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mean, how did we mean. manage to live? I don't. You guys know. are mean. Hey, Renee, are you with us up there in Canada? I don't know. Eric, I think I'm to hang up. The TV is gone out. The, the storms are starting, well, so I'm going to have to sign off. Okay, well, we're about well, through with the course. Don't run out now. of Maker's Mark. The broadcast. <laughs> Maker's <Yeah>. Mark. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you all next week. All right. Yeah, thanks, thank thanks Jim. Thanks for your Good story. Night. Well, anybody else have a story they want to add to it before we finish our program tonight? Well, you, you talked about these indoor games. I, I, I think I, one of the last show or a week or so ago, we had the thing about the model airplanes and all that, you know, the ball switch construction kits and the boats and all that. So in, in, in junior high school, that's what uh, I was the president of our model airplane club, and we were called the balsa butchers. <laughs> and we, we, we did all the model planes and all the boats, you know. Yeah, everybody's we're break, breaking, everybody's up, again, breaking so. up now. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's like riding, driving on a cobblestone road with no with no wheels, uh, with no rubber on the rims. Or either sitting in a helicopter trying to talk, communicate. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Dorothy. 
Uh, I want to finish the program by telling our guests tonight show were Dorothy and Don Gagnon, Chuck Albright, Jim Holder, Colleen DeFelice, and Mike Scott. Thanks, guys and gals. We appreciate it. Uh, great show. Dorothy, what do you have for us next week? Yes, I want to uh, let you know, first off, that we received two donations today, a uh, $50 donation from John Suchaki and one from Gary Cortland, which we appreciate very, very much. Uh, Neil's book, Queens of Many, is now in 737-800 aircraft model makes a great gift or it's even for your own display. With a $40 donation, you'll receive both and you're helping to keep the EAL radio show put out the message about Eastern Airlines by keeping us on the air. Please consider making a donation. Contributions can be made through our donation information on the homepage www. EALradioshow.com. And I also want to mention that we had a member who gave us um, a donation, uh, A.R. Daniels, today. He sent in a wonderful letter saying, Good afternoon, Dorothy. Good, good news. Received the package this morning. Love the cover of the book. In my lifetime, I have flown on everything from the Lockheed Constellation to the Airbus 300. Many flights and a lot of fun. Thank you, A.R. Daniels, and we do appreciate his contribution very, very much, as we do all of our sponsors. And we're so thankful for REPA for giving us their donation. That contribution helps us to carry our show uh, along for the entire year, and we just are so appreciative of all you folks who are not only members, but those of you who have donated sponsors. Hey, uh, Dorothy. That, Dorothy. Really, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, ahead. I want to say also the cover that he's speaking of about the book, uh, The Wings of Many, uh, was done by Jerry Frost. He did a beautiful rendition, and we put it on the cover of the book, it has all of Eastern's airplanes uh, lined up over the Atlanta Hartsfield Airport. A beautiful cover done by Jerry Frost, and we thank Jerry for doing that. And Absolutely. and got, I've got uh, lots of comments about uh, the cover of that book. A wonderful one. It is. It is beautiful. Yep. Excellent. We thank Jerry very very much. Um, and now for our future shows coming up, we have. Next week is going to be the history of the FAA, followed by global pilot shortage. And then we uh, talked about the Malaysia flight, MH370 mystery, and the last heartbeats of an American legacy airline, the final days of Eastern Airlines, is topics that will be upcoming on our show. So please, folks, stay tuned to us. We're on the air every single Monday night. Our Thursday broadcast this week is going to be uh, Eastern Goes Goes Gospel. That ought to be a fun show with uh, Captain Neil and your host, Don Gagnon. Uh, From the Eastern Files will be our next From the Eastern Files of Great Eastern Memories. And we look forward to all of you joining us each and every week. 
We try to bring the legacy of Eastern in every way possible, and uh, we appreciate you folks uh, joining in and being on the air with our discussions. Back to you, Neil. Calling control tower, CX4, calling control tower, standing by. Thanks, guys. You did a great job. Thanks yeah, so it, much. It, it went well. Excellent.